welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, good day, Agape family. We're into our fourth week of this lockdown. And let's uh, pray that it's the last week and that we'll be able to meet together again next week, Lord willing. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 2 and 3. If I ask you, what is the greatest need for the church today, what would you say? If we just think in terms of the churches here in George, we could list several needs. We could say there's a need for the church to be fully committed to the Lord, a genuine church born-again believers, set apart or, or holy unto the Lord. Uh, the church needs to be zealous for the Word of God and have a burden for the lost. And we could, we could go on and on with a list of things that we see as needs. We have looked at Paul's general admonition in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Where he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now he's going to tell us specifically what this worthy walk looks like. And it's interesting to note that he begins with the personal relationships within the body of Christ. He lists several spiritual attributes with which we are to walk in order to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We might have expected Paul to begin with holiness and purity, and he's going to get to that, but his first priority is the unity that God has created in those who are in Christ. The church, the body of Christ, should demonstrate outwardly the unity that is inherent in those who are in Christ. Paul has just spent the first three chapters of Ephesians arguing that God's eternal purpose is to sum up all things in Christ. He has shown us that the mystery of the gospel includes God bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles, reconciling them both to God through Christ, he has made them into one new man, establishing peace. And in Christ, both groups have access in one spirit to the Father. Together, we are being built into a holy temple or a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so Paul calls upon us to walk in a manner worthy of the unity that God has given us in Christ. Let's read together. Uh, from verse 1 again, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. 
these attributes are part of our calling because they describe attributes of Christ. And we are called to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 29. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 18, he describes this transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives this way. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we have these attributes for the unity of the Spirit. And these attributes require the enablement from the Holy Spirit. What is called in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. So we must yield to Him, to the Spirit's control in our lives, keeping in step with Him. Well, Paul begins with the attribute of humility. Our Western society thinks of humility in about the same way that the Greek and Roman world of the first century did. They viewed humility as a characteristic of weakness and cowardice. Only acceptable among slaves who were forced into submission. Modern psychology has done such a good job of teaching us to love ourselves as the cure for our self-esteem problems that it is accepted as the golden rule without question. It is taught from elementary right through the entire education program. Even modern Christians have blindedly accepted this wisdom of man, although it stands in direct conflict with the wisdom of God given in his word. The scriptures teach us that self-love, self-exaltation are the poisons behind all our relationship conflicts. Go and look at the root causes of unresolved conflict in the church, in the family, and you will find pride and self-love lurking in the shadows. Uh, this word translated humility is literally uh, lowliness of mind. And isn't that exactly the, the opposite of what we hear today? If you go into an average Christian bookstore, you will have a hard time finding a book on humility. You'll have to wade past all the other books on thinking positively or, or, or thoughts of self-promotion. You see, humility goes against our natural fleshly desires. It requires us to think biblically, to recognize that we are nothing apart from Christ. He is our sufficiency. And our worth is in Him and not in ourselves. If we have any talent or any ability, it's because of Him. It's because of His grace. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 5, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That word conceit uh, speaks of empty pride. 
Now, why would Paul say that? And the reason is, is because that is our natural tendency to do everything from selfish ambition and empty pride. Paul continues, he says, don't do anything, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. One author observes that true humility is not putting ourselves down, but rather lifting up others. As we go through life exalting Christ and others, then genuine humility will be inevitable. If we exalt ourselves, then God will take care of our humiliation, for he promises the proud. End of quote. Well, Peter also admonishes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. But notice he's not just talking to the younger people. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The words clothe yourselves speak of tying on a garment, like putting on an apron and tying it up. No doubt Peter never forgot the lesson that Christ gave him and the other disciples in the upper room when he tied on a towel and began to wash their feet. He told them in John chapter 13 from verse 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, or have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You see, Jesus was a living example of humility, and he calls upon us to treat one another in humility serving one another. Alistair Begg, a Scottish pastor in the U.S., tells about a children's song he grew up hearing in church called Root Them Out. Well, I don't know if it was originally a, a Scottish song or not, but I, I've never heard it in the U.S. Maybe, maybe you've heard of it. It goes like this, Root them out, get them gone. All the little bunnies in the fields of corn. Envy, jealousy, malice, pride. These must never in my heart abide. And he says that as they used to shake their heads back and forth when they said envy, jealousy, malice, and pride. These must never in my heart abide. Well, humility is such an important attribute in the Christian life. We begin the new life in Christ with humility. A person does not come to faith in Christ with pride in his heart, but in humility, in total dependence upon Christ's work upon the cross, his death, and his resurrection. Augustus' top lady in his third stanza, The Rock of Ages, says it very well for us. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless 
look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. You see, we began the Christian life in humility, and we must continue in humility with our dependence upon Christ through the enablement of the Spirit. Well, the second attribute is closely related to humility, and that is gentleness. And this word gentleness is also many times translated meekness. And the world associates those words with weakness, but in reality, the opposite is true. The Greek word paraltes describes power under control, like the wind or horse that has been tamed. Gentleness is having one's emotion under control and is the opposite of self-assertion, rudeness, and harshness. Christ, again, is our example. In Matthew 11, verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The word lowly, and the lowly in heart, is the same root word for humility. And Peter's description of Christ is also revealing. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, speaking of, of Christ in his crucifixion, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, we are being transformed into this likeness of Christ as we entrust ourselves and our circumstances to the Lord. He is accomplishing His work in and through us by the power of the Spirit of God to change us, to transform us into His own likeness. Well, this third attribute Paul list is patience. We are to walk with patience. This Greek word is very descriptive. It's macrothumia, literally long-tempered, as opposed to being short-tempered. The KJV translates long-suffering. Macrothumia has to do with our reaction to people and their irritations and offenses. They are by the way, people that God allows or sends into our life. Our old nature is, is quick to take offense, but by the transforming power of the Spirit, we can change to become long-tempered. This is also an attribute of God. If He were not long-tempered or long-suffering, none of us would be saved. Paul says it, says it this way in Romans 2, verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And again, in 2 Peter 3, and verse 9, the Lord speaking to those who would doubt the promises of God he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And since God is so long-suffering with us and our offenses against Him, can we be any less long-suffering and patient towards each other? Well, closely related to patience is the admonition, bearing with one another in love. The Lexham English Bible puts, puts it in a more common language of putting up with one another in love. Uh, this is a trait that you often see in mothers with little children. They put up with a lot of irritation and nonsense because of their love. I often look at young parents today and think, I was never that tolerant with our three boys. And it's interesting that Paul qualifies this admonition by adding, with love. It's not enough just to endure or bear with someone but we must do so in love. You see, love doesn't allow us to be resentful. We can't just put up with someone and, and not forgive them. Love causes us to, to be concerned about what is good for them and not just thinking of ourselves. You see, these attributes must be spirit-empowered. They don't come to us naturally or by the strength of our own will. You've probably heard the little poem, To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. You see, the Spirit of God does enable us with these attributes, but we must put them on. It's like a soldier who's going into battle. He can be equipped with all the best armor and weapons but to be useful, he must put them on and use them. This is how Paul says it in Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. And notice the parallels to our text. Colossians 3, verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Well, sometimes it is necessary to confront people about their words or their actions, especially if their conduct is detrimental to the, the church, the body of Christ. But these Attributes of Christ-likeness that Paul is talking about will usually take care of most offenses. As Peter admonishes in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, he says, Above all, keeping, uh, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Notice how Paul ends his admonition in, in verse 3. He says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keeping or maintaining the unity of the Spirit is not something that we can be casual about and just kind of laid back and nonchalant about. The, the word eager is spudazzo. It, it speaks of intensity of effort with haste or with speed. We, we must be diligent and pursue after the unity that the Spirit of God has worked in us through Christ. The Ofertaling say in Ernst Strieve, 
om die eenheid van de geest te bewaren. En as Paul says in Romans 14 and verse 19, he says, So then we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Well, in conclusion, I'll give you a, a summary statement from the Baker exegetical commentary. It says, Paul wants to encourage his readers to live in the way their conversion and their hope imply they should live, which means cultivating four qualities in particular. Humility that translate, translates into gentleness, even towards difficult people. Persistence in their commitment, even when this is difficult. Willingness to put up with annoying people, even to love them. And zeal to preserve the spirit-given unity of the church. Well, I read a story that illustrates this for us. It's about a young man named Bill that came to faith through a university campus ministry. On the next Sunday, Bill attended a church near the campus. Now, this was a very conservative and somewhat formal church, so when Bill showed up in blue jeans, t-shirt, and barefoot, he was a little out of place. Some of the people were a bit uncomfortable, but no one said anything to him. And Bill began walking down the aisle looking for a seat, but the church was quite crowded that day, and and so he got all the way to the front without finding a seat. So he just sat down on the floor at the front, which was normal for a college Bible study, but unusual for this rather formal church. Well, suddenly an elder man began walking down the aisle towards Bill. What was he going to do? What was he going to say? And as the man kept walking slowly down the aisle, all eyes were on him. You could hear a pin drop. And when the man reached Bill, he lowered himself with some difficulty and sat down next to Bill on the floor. He and Bill worshiped together on the floor that day. You see, that elderly man was practicing what Paul is talking about here in our text. By his actions, he was walking in a manner worthy of his calling, demonstrating humility gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. He was being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let us pray together. Our Father, these are such important principles for us. We do struggle so often with our fleshly desires, our pride, our unwillingness to humble ourselves, Father, we need you. We need your spirits working in our lives that we might follow this admonition from your word. That we would walk in such a way that would be fitting to who we are in Christ and what Christ has accomplished in us, what he's called us to. Lord, the, the unity that you have established within your own body. Lord, may we demonstrate that outwardly in how that we live our lives, how we communicate with one another, how we treat one another, whether it's in the whether it's in the home or in the church among our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Lord, we need this transforming work of the Spirit of God to take place in our lives day by day as we walk with you. May we truly, Father, endeavor to keep in step with the Spirit of God and the work that he is desiring to do in us to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Help us, Father, to pursue these after these things. Uh, help us not to think we can just sit back and expect them to happen automatically. But Lord, may we invite uh, your word into our hearts and minds to change us and submit to your uh, Spirit's controlling influence in our lives so that uh, we truly might be implementing uh, these attributes into our life, allowing them to root out the old uh, sinful habits and ways of acting and reacting to situations. Lord, help us not to be content with the old man, but to put on the new man and walk in newness of life day by day. We thank you, Father, for uh, your power at work in us. And we praise you for what you have done and are doing and will one day complete in us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leopard spot and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.